Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. I'm JC, and this week we are giving Nathan the week off as he and his family are moving to Anderson, South Carolina, to begin working there at Gospel Light. Man, we are fired up for Nathan and this move. Brian is going to be on the podcast here in just a minute as he's sitting down for part two with his dad, Craig Edwards. But we want to let you know about some incredible things we got coming up here at the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. One is our episodes with Mark Ward. So the entire month of April, we're going to be sitting down with Mark Ward for four incredible conversations around a topic that we've been talking about for a while, but it's time to tackle it, the King James only issue. And uh, so that's going to be coming up in the month of April. Be sure to stay tuned and check that out. We got a brand new website up. It's the rfpnetwork.org. There you can go and listen to all of the content in one place from all of the podcasts that are part of the RFP family. And speaking of RFP family, we are fired up to meet you this summer. We've just announced two meetups that are going to be happening this summer. One is going to be on June the 4th here in Statesboro, Georgia. This is our South meetup. We would love for you to come and be part of that with us here in South Georgia. And then our Midwest meetup is going to be in Bourbon, Missouri, August 26th, 27th, and 28th. You can go to recoveringfundamentalist.org, click on the tabs right there at the top of the website, and register for your tickets today, all right? While you're there at the website, go to the Free Life Soap tab, click on that, Order your soap, order your beard oil, use your promo code RFP and get 20% off of your order when you do that today, okay? Hey guys, I love you. Thank you so much for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. I'm excited about today's conversation with Brian and his dad, Craig Edwards. Let's go ahead and jump into this episode, all right? Let's go. You know what makes women stupid is college. Jesus was not a bartender. Hi, man. Two. You have lost your mind. Long-tongued heifers have given me a lot more trouble than heifers wearing breeches. And you know that. Say amen right there. One. Let me tell you something, bozo. They'll be selling frosties in hell for this boy. Put on a pair of pink underwear. Amen. I sucked my thumb till I was 14 years of age. Hi, man. Well, hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. I'm your host, Brian Edwards, and I am your only host for this episode. I can't believe that JC and Nathan actually trusted me to drive the car all by myself. Uh, This reminds me when I was a teenager, I just had gotten my license. I was nervous driving anyway, and one day my dad came home and there was a dent in his truck. And so it was automatically assumed that I was the one I was to blame. And so my dad started, you know, just fussing at me over this dent in his truck. I was trying to convince him that it wasn't me. And in the end, it was my mom. Talk about sweet vindication. But hopefully, JC and Nathan won't have anything to fuss at me about after this episode is over. And uh, they'll be happy with the way uh, that I've hosted this episode. I love those guys. It's going to be odd without them but guys uh, hopefully this will turn out well I know a lot of people are going to be helped by the conversation that I'm going to be having and I'm grateful that JC and Nathan would give me the opportunity to host this episode on my own uh, because I'm going to be talking to my dad Craig Edwards 
there is no preacher and no man that I respect any more than I respect my dad. I can honestly say if it weren't for him, I wouldn't be here. So he means the world to me. And uh, I love uh, who God has created him to be. I love the example that he set in ministry, how faithful he's been, not only uh, to God's word, but to my mom and to my family. And there are a lot of things that I've had to doubt over the course of my lifetime. But one thing uh, that me and my sisters have never had to doubt, and that is that our daddy loves us with all of his heart. And uh, that means everything in the world to me. Well, this is a follow-up interview. Uh, We have uh, sat down for a previous conversation, and that conversation helped so many people. As a matter of fact, it's been unbelievable the amount of feedback that I've gotten and the amount of feedback that my dad has gotten just from that episode. And so many people saying that that was the episode that helped them. That was the episode that started their journey toward becoming a recovering fundamentalist. So, Dad, you and I were talking the other day, and uh, you said that you've gotten messages virtually every week since we did that episode. Can you just maybe share with everyone what that's meant to you and and maybe some of the content of some of those messages? It's meant a great deal to me. Um, You know, hardly a week goes by that I don't receive a message from somebody that listened or heard the podcast. podcast that we did earlier and uh, they just appreciated my willingness to talk about the things that we did talk about and uh, appreciated me willing to do what I felt God wanted me to do and uh, I guess I've heard more than anything else is that so many people have been thinking about uh, things that were wrong and they were afraid to to move and they said that by hearing the podcast, they said, if Craig Edwards did it, then we can do it too. And um, it's it's always good to know that your pain has not been wasted. And uh, it's been a real blessing and encouragement to me. Yeah, it meant a lot to me too. And a lot of people sent me messages and talked about how meaningful it was for them to hear you and I have that conversation because they can't have that conversation with their parent. And to hear, you know, us talk about how much we love each other and how close yeah. we are. And not only are we father and son, but we're best friends. Yep. And I think that meant a lot to people because we survived me leaving fundamentalism, mm-hmm. letting you know that I had left fundamentalism. Mm-hmm. And then that time of tension that we had when you were trying to pull me back in the other direction and that we were always having those conversations. And and then the day that I told you that it was a matter of conviction that I couldn't, I couldn't come back. And, you know, I've got to be honest. um, I get accused of being the straightforward one. And I think you could probably tell everybody that that's the way I am all the time. Yes, sir. (laughs) <laughs> regardless of what it, it's about it's, it's a good blend with you and jc and nathan um and they need somebody to keep them straight <laughs> <laughs> yeah they call me the old man and, yeah <laughs> uh, so that's kind of become my assignment but that's but, amazing know, they call me the old man too <laughs> <laughs> well uh 
That's kind of scary, but I am right behind you. You and Mama had me when y'all were basically kids, and so uh, all I have to do is to know what the next phase for me looks like is look at you. <laughs> A little while back when we were at that furniture store, the antique store downtown Mount Airy, and I came around the corner, and uh, I said, hey, Daddy. And then I caught myself midway through the word Daddy, and I realized that I was seeing my reflection in the glass <laughs> on a piece of furniture. <laughs> and so all I have to do is look at you, and uh, I know what the next phase looks like for me. And uh, I guess with that, I need to ask everybody to be praying for me. <laughs> oh, you, you're lucky, Brian. You're so lucky. You just don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, um, you know, I love that last conversation, and, and I love the fact that me and you now – have in common that neither one of us are fundamentalist anymore. And, you know, I, I listen to a lot of the guys that are, that are existing under the banner of fundamentalism. And I'm glad I'm not them. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I'm not Jack Treber and I'm glad I'm not Tony Hudson. Thank God for that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad I'm not, um, as a matter of fact, uh, a guy who doesn't even know you, uh, he wishes he was somebody. I, I said I was going to rename his podcast and call it Verbal Excrement. Uh, but his name <laughs> is Ta Tommy McMurtry. And, uh, you know, he even tried to take a swipe at you on his podcast this week. And uh, wow. I, I think people assume that that bothers us, but they don't know how much we've been through that already. Yeah, that's And how much we've true. dealt with that. It's not that's really true. a big deal anymore, is it? Not a big deal. It comes with the turf. And, uh, I expected it to happen. To be honest, it was worse than I thought it was going to be. But at the same time, I've handled it better than I thought I would. I've actually dealt with it better than I thought I would. And a lot of times the assaults uh, just make you glad that's not where you are. Uh, when you see Man, how... Crazy. When you see how... Uh, they try to ma major on things that are not even biblically related. And um, so many, many guys, and I hate to say this, but if they can't control you, they try to destroy you. And uh, I've lived through that. Uh, and it actually just assures me that I've made the right decisions and I'm moved in the right direction. I love that you just said that because there are a lot of guys who deal with that. Uh, we get a lot of messages uh, at the Recovering Fundamentalist. Guys I'm saying sure. they're, they're trying to ruin my name. They're accusing me of all kinds of things. And, you know, it reminds me several years ago, uh, the pastor who was going to start a church, that both you and I both know him, and he got called in on the carpet. And uh, they basically said, if you, if you plant this church in this town, uh, mm -hmm. People are going to hear about your adultery and people are going to hear about your addiction. And, and he spoke up and he said, but I've never committed adultery. And they said, mm -hmm. well, who are they going to believe you or us? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and it was, we'll ruin you for the sake of our kingdom. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's, I think that's really sad. You know, people read in the Bible for thine is the kingdom, but then they live like for mine is the kingdom true that's 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 true and i think that's why they're so i think that's why they're so quick to attack and to destroy it's um 
it's really disappointing. And you can see it from a distance. It's hard to see it when you're right in it. But uh, so many use the name of Jesus as an as an end, uh, as a means to their end. I'll get it right. They use Jesus as a means to their end, and that's really disappointing and heartbreaking. But it it happens all the time. It really does. And and you know this conversation, last conversation, we kind of talked about your story, and you kind of. Mm-hmm you know, just talked about what your salvation experience was like, what your call to ministry was like. And then we, we just stepped a little bit over into who you are now and right. what that journey has looked like. And so hopefully in this conversation, we can talk more about, you know, who you are now, how you've arrived at where you are now, and maybe some reflections you have as you look back. Because I think, I think being who you are and how well known in fundamentalism you were and your age. I think that Mm -hmm. allows you to speak to our audience in a way that none of the three of us can. And your honesty is going to let you speak in a way that I don't know very many other guys who would be able to speak to our audience in the way that you'll be able to. Uh, so I just want to ask a few questions, and uh, I mean, we've been talking. The first word I ever said was "daddy," so I'm sure me and you can make it through this <laughs> <laughs> through this conversation. Okay, uh, how sure. long have you? Yeah, how long have you been in ministry? Fifty three years. This past February, uh, I celebrated fifty three years of ministry. Fifty three years. Yes, so, so you've been in ministry three years longer than I've been alive. Right, right. <laughs> I, I tell everybody, you know, that all I've ever known is you being a preacher. Mm-hmm. I never knew anything else. You know, you were a preacher when I came into the world, and uh, you've, right. you've been preaching God's word always, all throughout my whole life. That's all I've ever known. And, um, and I have to say that, you know, you've accomplished a lot in your 53 years, Um, By the grace of God, you've preached more places and more times in more states and in more churches than anybody in the history of your county. No one in Mount Airy, Surrey County, has preached more places, more times, in more states than you have. I would say that's true. (laughs) And that's amazing. Like that, that, that really makes me so, so proud to be able to say that. Because, you know, behind that, I know the faithfulness. And behind that, I know the times that you you did without for the cause of Christ and for the ministry and, and all of that. So I know this journey from, from the inside, not from the outside. Right. But, but I guess more thankful than I am for that fact, you know, how, how, much, how much you've preached and how many places you've preached and how many times you've preached – I think the thing that makes me most proud is that you were willing to let all of that go at a phase and a stage in your life when all you would have done would have been to have to pretend 
to believe something else and to be somebody else. And you could have, you could have made it to the finish line, preaching all the places you always had, being friends with all the guys that you'd always been friends with, being respected in the way that you always had been, going to those same camp meetings that you had always gone to, all you would have had to have done would have just been to have refused to change. But Mm -hmm. at what a lot of people would call, you know, the last lap, you decided that you weren't going to settle for status quo and that you were not going to be a pretender. Can I ask you what it was like in your gut when you realized you were going to change and what kind of courage did that take? Well, uh, I had mixed emotions about it. You know, as God began to speak to my heart and he used you in a great way, um, because when I would question certain things that you did or certain things that you didn't do, uh, you would many times ask me to show it to you in the Bible, and I couldn't. And, uh, you know, things just begin to happen. God began to work in my life. And um, once the ice cracks, it usually spreads, the cracks spread, and that's what happened. Um, you know, I guess really how I felt, Brian, in my heart is um, I was so thankful that God brought me out of it. I don't know of anybody my age that was where I was that that made the trip that I've made. There's nobody I can talk to that's my age uh, that's where I was. Uh, nobody that I can talk to that would understand where I am now. And uh, to be honest, I've second-guessed myself at times. I've, I've been disappointed in people that I thought were my friends and found out they really weren't my friends. But all in all, I'm thankful that God did speak to my heart. And uh, the Lord has just worked in my life. And I'm just thankful that that I'm not the man I, I used to be. Uh, I'm not talking about before salvation, but I'm talking about even since ministry. I'm not the man I used to be. And uh, I, I, I'm thankful. I'm happy about it. I, um, sure, it hurts to to lose friends. It hurts when you hear people make uh, untrue statements or you know take a stab at you. I'm human. It it does hurt, but the rewards outweigh the pain. And I'm really I'm really thankful for what the Lord has done in my heart. I'm more passionate about serving God than I've ever been. I'm more passionate about the gospel than I've ever been. I'm more passionate about preaching than I've ever been. I'm more passionate about what the Bible actually does teach and say than I've ever been. And I don't have to worry about pleasing 
people or certain groups. I don't have to worry about being politically correct. Uh, I only concern myself with pleasing one, and that's Jesus. And uh, that, that's freeing. So the benefits have far outweighed the bad. The blessings have far outweighed uh, the dark side. So, so let me ask you this. Okay. When, when you realized all of these guys who say they're independent are actually all connected and they were having conversations about you and that led to meetings that you had been in for years being canceled, mm-hmm. preachers that you had preached for for years that you had loved, spent time with, been with not just in a ministry on a ministry level but on a personal level men that you believed would go to bat for you through thick and thin how did it feel when all those meetings started disappearing and you found out that people were boycotting certain meetings that you were supposed to be preaching at and then threats of boycotts that Mm -hmm. basically they would undermine the entire meeting to the point that it failed if you were going to be there preaching. Can you can you walk us through how that felt? I, I can. Um, to be honest, when the meetings, when, when I started talking about what God was doing in my heart, uh, a lot of meetings were canceled. And a lot of pastors, when they called me to cancel a meeting, they would say something like, uh, if it were up to me, I would, I would have you. I would love for you to come. But if I have you, then certain pastors said they wouldn't support the meeting. Uh, They wouldn't um, fellowship with me anymore and things like that. And really, I I saw through that. I I, I actually felt sorry for them. That is so not me to, to let others control who I was going to have in and who I wouldn't have in, um, you know, that is just so not me. And um, I actually felt sorry for them. I died to all that, Brian. Uh, I told your mom when we talked about it, and and we both knew what would happen. And I told your mom, I wasn't trying to be spiritual, or anything like that. I just was being honest. And I told Linda, if I perish, I perish. If I, if I never preach another meeting, if nobody ever calls me, I'm just going to do what I believe God wants me to do and let the chips fall where they fall. But what has happened, Brian, is that, and you know this as well, I'm still getting calls for meetings like crazy, but it's from a different um, kind of guys, Um, guys that are really serious about uh, authentic ministry, guys that are really interested in what the Bible says and and, uh, what it doesn't say. Um, I'm getting calls from a lot of younger guys and as I look back on it, everything I died to, the Lord has resurrected. Mm. 
And that's when you die to something and the Lord sees fit to resurrect it. It's You can't describe it. It's just... It's indescribable, indescribable, or whatever. <laughs> Either one of those will work. Yeah. Um, we say if you know what it means, it's a real word. Um, so, so I do have a harder question, and I guess it's okay. a, a little, a little deeper kind of question. Okay. Um, I mean, you and I know that there are guys who believe they're in control of certain sects of fundamentalism. And we could call mm-hmm. them by name right now. They play the political sure. game better than anybody, right? They're, yep. they're, they're calling people all the time. They're trying to line up what pastor gets what church when there's a vacancy because they want to put a guy in there who will continue to have them for revival meetings so they'll continue to get the money. Um, sure. I mean, let's just be honest. That's what it comes down to. It is um, what it is. <laughs> it is. It am what it am. Uh, but <laughs> I think there's a lot of pride involved in that. And I think there's a lot of pride involved in that, in that entire movement. And so here's my question. Looking back, did it feed your pride in some way to be one of the most sought-after evangelists in America in fundamentalism? And do you think that influenced you for a season to go along with some things that you really didn't agree with? Because we've had the conversation you were never like some of the guys that I talk about on the podcast. Unfortunately, you were in meetings with some of those guys. Mm-hmm. And we interacted in and around some of the insanity. But you were never, that's never who you were. You always preached the scripture. You always preached text. And uh, when, when no one else ever did this, you know, you were always giving Greek meanings and Hebrew meanings to words and then, you know, I guess making the scripture come alive by giving people what was actually true context. But you went along with some things that looking back, you weren't really a part of. Do you think part of the fear of speaking out or standing up earlier was maybe connected to that feeding some pride in you in some way? To me, it, it was not a pride issue, um, and I'm just being honest and transparent. I was surprised that guys were calling me to, to preach for them. I, I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. You know, when certain doors opened, uh, I, I didn't. I didn't feel proud about it. I was surprised. You know, my my thoughts were. You know, why would they call me? But um, I think more than a pride issue, it was just a question of being accepted. Because in order to be accepted, you had to be like certain guys, um, and maybe not even in a biblical way, but you had to be correct on your talking points. You had to be correct politically. And and if you didn't fit a certain mold, then you were not accepted. And I think that had a lot to do with the way I was. It had a lot to do with how I raised 
my kids. It had a lot to do with how we lived as a family. Um, I wanted to be accepted. And I feel like that um, I had to be like them in order to be accepted. Yeah, acceptance is a big deal. And, and just, you know, just for our listeners, when, when he uses the word, you know, politically, being right politically, he's not talking about being a Republican. He's oh, no, talking, no, no, no. He's talking about church politics. Right. And I think that's something that most people, if you aren't, if you aren't the evangelist or the pastor or you're not in that world in, on the inside, you don't really realize how political it is. Uh, I don't think people are aware of that. No, it's, but it's very, very political. political. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, very is the right word. So I, I'm, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, I, I might be, I don't know if I'm the oldest one you've ever interviewed or not, but I remember when the term fundamental was first coined. Uh, it was coined during a time when some major doctrines of the Bible were being questioned and even being denied or denounced. And so to be a fundamentalist when the coin was first originated simply meant that you believe the fundamentals of the scriptures. And the way I have tried to describe that is there are certain fundamentals to a car. You've got to have an engine. You don't have to have air conditioning, but you've got to have a transmission. You don't have to have cruise control, but you've got to have a rear end. Uh, you don't have to have uh, GPS, but you've got to have tires. You've got to have gas. You've got to have a battery. Uh, those are fundamentals, and a lot of the others are just accessories. They're add-ons. And so in the very beginning, people could fellowship and did fellowship on the basis of the fundamentals of the Bible. Um, you know, People have different views about election, about predestination. But, um, you know, you had to have the fundamental uh, belief that Jesus was born of a virgin. Um, you know, there were just certain fundamentals that you had to believe. But since the term was first coined, fellowship has become about everything except the fundamentals. I mean, how, how often do you hear of guys breaking fellowship because one denies the virgin birth? It, don't, it doesn't happen about that. It happens about what color shirt do you wear behind the pulpit? Um, do you have Sunday night service at a given time? Um, which which crowd do you fit into? Which circle are you in? Things that don't even matter, things that, that don't even relate to the fundamentals of the Bible, the fundamental truths like the resurrection of Jesus. That's fundamental. Um, and the whole term has taken on a different 
identity. Yeah, that's what we talked about when we were in Vegas, actually. Um, we, we said that the guys who are out there now, so many of them, they're not fundamentalists. They're separatists. Yeah, yeah. And if they were honest, instead of putting on their church sign, you know, whatever, Bible, Baptist, fundamental, independent, whatever, premillennial, they would put on their, mm -hmm. instead of fundamental, they would put separatist if they were really being honest. And, right. uh, you know, I heard, uh, I heard Tony Hudson a little while back on a clip, um, and he said, you know, I wouldn't even be friends with a person who had a friend who had a friend who had a friend who was a Southern Baptist. And you hear things yeah, like that, and, it's, you know, what in the world ridiculous. is he even talking about? Yeah, it's really that's sad. ridiculous. So what are some of the false accusations that have been made against you? Well, the biggest thing, I guess, is that I've gone liberal. I'm a compromiser. Uh, I don't believe the King James Bible anymore. <laughs> um, I don't know. Tony Hudson has furnished me with groceries <laughs> for the last <laughs> several years <laughs> but That's really nice, uh, it is nice I, I, I want to talk to him about that he's way 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 behind but uh, <laughs> yeah that you know just just everything um from but the biggest charge i guess that people have made is been that um i'm, I'm a compromiser i'm a i'm a liberal when doctrinally I believe what I've always believed, I, I, I preach. I preach more gospel now, I think, than I've ever preached, uh, with purpose and intent. Um, you know, um, I, I I still carry the same Bible I started with, the seventeen sixty nine edition of the <laughs> King James, and it's. Yep. Uh, I'm 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 going to finish up with it, uh, but um, you know people have said um, uh, that I've compromised. I'm a liberal, and just those are the two main accusations, I guess. So so right now, while we're doing this interview, you're sitting in Seattle, Washington. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because because you're preaching right outside of Seattle this week. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so. So Washington State is known to be an incredibly liberal state overall. So what Bible did you preach from tonight in Washington State? The same Bible I've always preached from. <laughs> yeah. uh, the church I'm in, is, it's an awesome church. It's, uh, it's a balanced ministry. Uh, the pastor's got his head on straight. They have... Um, a mixed congregation as far as ages are concerned. They've got older people. they got a lot of young couples uh, in the church, and the church is balanced in its uh, music, in its outreach. And um, the passion of this pastor is to, uh, is to, to walk and, and live in truth and... Uh, I think that's all he wanted me to say. He's, he's sitting over here, <laughs> but no, that's that's every bit of it is a hundred percent true. 
And there, there are a lot of younger guys that uh, are passionate about relevant and authentic ministry that want to be real. And, and, and you're preaching authentically and living authentically from the King James Bible. That's, that's what I want. Right. That's what I want people to know because, you know, I had somebody say a little while back, you know, that they couldn't believe my dad had, had basically renounced the King James Bible. And, you know, and of course my first question was who told you that? Well, then you hear who told them that. And it's sad to say, but you're not surprised, but it's, it's, wait a minute. You haven't listened to a single sermon he's preached then in the last five years, have you? Because every Sunday he lays that big King James Bible that's about the size of a carry-on piece of luggage up on the pulpit, and he preaches from it every single week. All you have to do is go online and listen to one sermon to know that's a lie. But, you know, that's what really concerns me because it's not a matter of what's true. It's just an accusation that works. Yeah. And it's really sad, but there's power in keeping people ignorant. And there's so many people <laughs> who is. ignorantly believe what is not true. And what's, sad is. Is that, and what's sad is their leaders know what is true and what's not true. And when they say those things, they know they're lying. You know, it was, it was a good while. I had been in the ministry a good, a good while before I even knew the Bible I was preaching from was a 1769 uh, edition <laughs> or revision. I thought I thought it was the original 1611 King James Bible until I saw one. And uh, the original 1611, of course, contained the Apocrypha books. But the spelling was totally different. The wording was was totally different. The way sentences were structured uh, were totally different from the Bible I carry. And and a lot of people, when you when you tell people that, they get angry. You know, it's just like my wife could tell the truth about me, and a lot of people would think she doesn't like me. And so. What I said and have been saying basically is what the translators said about their own work. And people would get mad at me because I quoted them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Ralph Sexton Jr. said uh, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, A little shepherd boy threw a rock up in a cave and uh, happened to hear something break and thought he found a treasure. They opened up the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it read just like the King James Bible, including the punctuations. <laughs> uh, yeah, we won't That's even go there. Yeah, bless him, Lord. Um, but people have told that lie and a lot of other lies, and it's really sad. And, and then, too, you know, one thing you've been accused of is, I guess, loving your children too much. You know, there were guys who said that you loved all of us more than you loved what was right. What would you say oh, to that mercy. person? They don't have a clue. They're right about one thing. I do love my kids. And, um, man, I'm just thrilled at this point in my life. You and I are able to do ministry together. I mean, wow, that's just so incredible to me. 
Um, but at the same time, you could not have convinced me, no one could have convinced me to take the route that I've taken for the last few years of my life and of my ministry. I would not have done it for you, for for Mama, for Melinda, for Hannah. Only God could perform the changes in my heart that have taken place. Um, I love my kids. I, more than I love the air I breathe. But I, I have a lot of regrets, man, so many regrets in the way that I raised you guys by other people's convictions, um, just trying to be accepted. And I was so concerned about the way that you guys would make me look. And that was so selfish and so wrong. And, um, you know, in the in the early days of my ministry, so much of my ministry was about me. And at the time, I didn't even know it. I was, I was being as sincere as I knew how to be. And uh, I, was, um, I was trying to be like those guys that I thought were successful. And I wanted to be successful. I don't think anybody goes into anything to fail. Uh, people don't get married planning on failing, or you don't go to school planning on failing, and you don't you don't go into ministry planning on being a failure. And I didn't want to be a failure, and so I thought in order to succeed, I had to be like them. And and now uh, I just regret that so much, just uh, of making. So much about me when it was never about me. Well, you know, a wise man once told me you can only walk in the light you have. Yeah. And you can't walk in in new light until God gives you that light. Then you're responsible to walk in it. I can't remember that guy's name. I think it, I don't I think, know. I think his name might have been Daddy. Um, <laughs> he said something like this. You know, you don't get in your car and turn on your headlights and and see your headlights light the way all the way to your destination. They just light mm -hmm. the road right in front of you. But if you stay in that light, you'll eventually reach your destination. Moving and the so light I, you have and you, yeah. And yeah, so I think I, the I, cool I, thing is, I think the cool thing is that you, you are where you are now and your story is what it is. And I think, I think if you hadn't lived that story and you hadn't gone through all those things, that where you are now wouldn't mean nearly as much. That's true. That That's true. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, Brian, I don't know of anything good or bad that could have been left out of my life that would have enabled me to be where I am now. Um, God has used all things and they've worked together for good and uh, I'm thankful I'm I'm truly grateful so a little while back I heard you talking to some pastors about mm -hmm. why people stay in legalism why in the mm -hmm. world would people choose the law over grace why do you think a lot of our listeners they listen to the recovering fundamentalist podcast and they listen so that they can find things to disagree with but really they know that a lot of this resonates 
they know that a lot of stuff we point out is so absolutely profoundly true that you can't deny it but they choose to stay in legalism why do you believe that's true well in the book of galatians three times in chapter four paul talked about those who desired to be under the law and in the book of hebrews you know the believers there had a difficult time moving from mount sani which represented the law to mount zion which represents grace. And, uh, you know, at Sani, there was thunder and, and lightning and fear. Uh, and at Mount Zion, there was uh, the spirits of just men made perfect and innumerable company of angels and Jesus. Yet they wanted to stay at Mount Sinai. And there's a lot of people who feel like they need to be under the law. They feel like they need to be beat up every Sunday morning. They they need somebody to take the Bible and just rip their face off, and they feel like they need that. Um, but Paul talked about that in Galatians, and when you get to chapter 4, he said, you that desire to be under the law, don't you hear what the law says? And then he, he brings up Abraham, he brings up Sarah, he brings up Hagar, Isaac, and Ishmael. And he said, all of those things were written as an allegory. He's speaking to those who desire to be under the law. An allegory, of course, is a story that uses characters to convey real truth. And he gives the meaning of the characters. Uh, he talks about Sarah being the free woman. Hagar was the bondwoman. She represented the law. She gave birth to Ishmael. Ishmael, of course, represented the flesh. And then Isaac was the son of promise. Um Ishmael was the works of the flesh. Isaac was the result of God's promise. And when you study the story of Abraham, uh, Hagar was introduced to Abraham by Sarah because they were both getting old and they were childless. And God had promised to give Abraham a son and multiply his seed through a son and make of him a great nation. And so as they were getting older, Sarah brought Hagar to Abraham and said it could be that God would have you go in and lay with Hagar and that she would conceive and that would be the promised seed that God gave. And so Hagar was introduced to Abraham because Abraham and Sarah felt that God needed some help. They were trying to help God. And Paul was speaking to those who desired to be under the law. And there's a lot of people that still feel the need to be under the law because Calvary was not enough and the blood of Christ is not enough and God's forgiveness is not enough, and the righteousness of Jesus is not enough. They believe that in some way God needs our help, and that's the reason they choose to be under the law. Wow, that's really good. You know, the other day uh, I was actually preaching, and I was talking about how Jesus addressed the Pharisees, and they believed that by keeping the law, 
they had actually reached a right standing with God. They, they didn't even understand that the law existed to point to their guilt, to point out that they had no righteousness. They were so confused that they believed by keeping standards and rules that they had reached a right standing with God. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of people, they keep certain rules and regulations and they live a certain way and they abide by the standards that the preacher preaches. And at the end of the day, they feel like they're actually more spiritual because they're doing those things rather than just being completely and totally dependent on Jesus Christ. Yep, I agree. You know, in the circle that I came from, uh, and I, I attended the camp meetings, um, I preached at the camp meetings, and I heard others speak at the camp meetings. And most of the time what you heard was salvation by grace, but then sanctification really was by keeping the law. Uh, that's that's the message that most guys preach in that circle that we're saved by grace, but we're sanctified as we keep the law. I think a, uh, one reason a lot of guys preach things like that, uh, you know, if I preach what Jesus said and people obey what Jesus said, they're not really obeying me. They're obeying what Jesus said. But if I preach my own views and my own opinions and my own preferences and people obey, they're not obeying Jesus. They're obeying me. And Jesus is not controlling their lives. I am. And that's a big deal to a lot of preachers. Uh, They've got to be in control. And so that's why they preach things that are not even biblically related. It's to maintain control over the people. Well, you know, it's been pretty uh, astounding to me. I can't believe that people can't see inconsistencies. For example, um, I've heard so many clips now of Donald Trump being preached and held in high esteem from fundamentalist pulpits. And these are guys who preach, you know, to stay away from alcohol entirely. Women shouldn't wear pants. You should attend church three times a week. Uh, you should, you know, always tithe on your gross income. You should, I mean, they go right down the line. And and Donald Trump doesn't live up to any of that. I mean, he owns a winery. No. He owns a winery. He curses. <laughs> He's a vulgar man. He owns a casino with casinos with showgirls and all the rest. And then they herald him from the pulpit. I can't believe that people don't sit in the audience and think, there's inconsistencies here that can't be ignored. Yeah, well, I tell you, Brian, a lot of people really aren't interested in the truth because it messes up what they believe. Wow. And uh, so people people try to conform the truth to what they believe rather than conforming what they believe to the truth. Man, that's a powerful statement. I don't care if you are my daddy. That's good. <laughs> um, so why, why biblically do you believe that people should leave dysfunctional fundamentalism? You know, we say almost every single episode that there are good guys who are independent Baptists. And sure. They're not out there grinding axes, and they're not standing up every Sunday and, and preaching insane oh. things and they're guys who are trying to love Jesus and love their families and 
and live right and win other people to Christ. I mean, you know, there's some good guys out there. But then there's that dysfunctional arm of fundamentalism, which unfortunately is a large group and, and everybody kind of gets piled together. But biblically, why are some reasons you think people should leave that? Well, one of the fundamental flaws that I see is that uh, so much of ministry revolves around man. Um, and that's, that is fundamentally wrong. Um, people worship man in Jesus' name. Um, you know, so many things are swept under the man of God rug. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it becomes about men more than Jesus and um, men controlling people's lives and, and men being the final authority when that's not the way it ought to be. Um, I, I know of so many guys that wouldn't, they wouldn't consider praying about pastoring a church unless it made them look good or allowed them to live good. And they wouldn't think about going to, to preach in another church, a revival meeting. And I know this for a fact. They wouldn't go unless it made them look good and enabled them to live good. And that's not what ministry's about. It's, uh, I think the movement within itself is flawed. I think there is a lot of good people in the movement. But uh, the movement itself is flawed because it strayed away from the Word of God. I'm telling you, I, I being saved back in the 60s, uh, the guys who now call themselves old-fashioned are nothing like those guys back in the 60s, nothing like those guys. Um, it, it, it's, it's become more about man than it is about Jesus. Uh, so much of my ministry, I feel like I'm made about me, and it breaks my heart. It, it breaks my heart. So much of it was about me when it's never been about. It never should be about me. It's, it's all about Jesus. But to me, that's a major flaw. And, um, you know, I'm glad the Bible teaches that that we're free. And if uh, if being free was easy, Paul would have never said, "Stand fast in the liberty that we have in Christ." I know for me, and this is the truth, I didn't have to leave. They left me when I made Christ my ultimate example, and the Bible my ultimate standard they left me uh, so many guys were more concerned about me being like them than they were about me being like Jesus and sometimes being more like Christ makes you more unlike the brethren and um, I didn't have to leave to be honest they left me <laughs> yeah you know I was thinking the other day I don't know if that makes sense but 
It does. It does. But I was thinking the other day, you know, guys like Mays Jackson and a lot of those men that I was privileged to, to be friends with through you, mm-hmm. they were great men. They they didn't preach all of this insanity that I hear now. And they didn't, oh, no. they didn't browbeat people and beat people down. And, um, you know, Brother Mays, he had friends who weren't Baptist and, you know, I remember absolutely. Preach, I remember when he would preach at our church uh, there in Winston Salem, that you'd have people from all kinds of different denominations who would come. He to did. He Mays. preached. He preached in other denominations. He sure did. Yeah, and and people loved him, and he was a friend. And there were so many of those other men who were like that, and and what we see now is is a an extreme departure from from that i mean men like oh, Rayton yeah. Puckett. Rayton Puckett yeah. was as godly and as great a husband and dad as i think anybody could possibly be yeah and and what we see now is nothing like that it's it's heartbreaking no it's a new breed it's it's uh, it's not old time religion in the sense that that i knew it <laughs> right so what advice would you give people who are leaving fundamentalism? Because you left, and I have to mm-hmm. be honest, and I'm not saying this because you're my daddy. I've had so many other people tell me this. As a matter of fact, a guy reached out this past week on Twitter, and he said, unfortunately, he was going to have to go to one of the uh, camp meetings this past week uh, that you were forced out of. And one of the ones that said dishonest things about you, and he didn't want to go. He didn't want to be a part of it. But I don't know anybody who paid any higher price than you paid. It it affected you relationally. It affected you financially. It affected you futuristically because that was was who you were, and I know that's Mm -hmm. how you were planning on finishing up life. And uh, it affected you in every way. It even affected you maritally because, you know, it impacted mama, you know, hearing people say things about you and people posting horrible things about you on Facebook. And, you know, I've, I know she's cried and, and gotten so upset over those things because it was hard for her to know that those things were being said, that you were being attacked in that way. So you've paid the price for leaving. So what advice would you give people? who are considering leaving and who are leaving because there are people leaving in mass number and they don't sure. know what to do and they don't know what where to go. And so what advice would you give them? Um, well, you know, you and I have talked about this. Once you see truth, you can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. And for me, there was no going back. And the attitude that, that I've tried to take is I'm going to do right and follow Jesus and the chips fall where they fall. And and sometimes people will second guess themselves. But if you really stop and think about it, if you're moving in a more biblical direction, for example, I, you know, I don't, I don't say it if the Bible doesn't say it. 
If God didn't make an issue out of it, I don't either. Uh, I want to say what the Bible says. I want to condemn what the Bible condemns and exalt what the Bible exalts. And if the Bible is silent, uh, I want to remain silent. But when you're moving in a biblical con- uh, uh, direction and you're making Jesus your example and you're striving to be more like Christ, then you've just got to move forward. Um, not everybody is going to uh, accept it. Not everybody is going to like it, but not everybody accepted Jesus either. And uh, he's still, by the way, without the camp. He's on the outside. And so I would I would advise anybody that is experiencing what you and I both experienced spiritually to just go with God and just let the chips fall where they fall. Uh, I have no regrets. If I could go back and do it over, I have no regrets. Um, I would do it again. I would do it again. And um, if 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 people will just put him first and uh, just follow him, let the chips fall where they fall. Uh, and really, you know, I haven't lost any friends. I haven't lost one real friend. I lost people that I thought were my friends. But a true friend loveth at all times. And, um, you know, you just you just got to go with God. Once you see truth, you can't unsee it. And that's the bottom line. Yeah, and you have to live into that truth. You know, that's the... That's the difficult part about truth. Once you see it, then you're responsible for it. You know, sometimes I read I read things in Scripture, I study things, or I come to understand things, and I wish I hadn't <laughs> because I know yeah. now, <laughs> now I'm responsible for it. And uh, I, got I, was, you. I was reading a verse a little while back, and, and uh, man, God just made it so real to me. And, and I thought, why? <laughs> Why do I have to know that? Uh, because now that, I, <laughs> now that I know that, my life's going to have to change. Uh, well, Daddy, I, I love that we had a chance to have this conversation. And, and there's one final question I'd like to ask you. You say frequently mm-hmm. that you should always prefer truth over tradition. Yes, sir. That's kind of something that you and I have said to each other in times past. And then you've kind of made that a mantra truth over tradition mm-hmm. every what, time what do you mean when you say that truth over tradition well according to the bible traditions are received from our fathers doing things the way we've always done them and just because things have been done a certain way that doesn't make them right and, and the thing that I have seen is just like the Pharisees. They preached tradition as doctrine. They said God said when God didn't say. And uh, there's just so many things that are preached as truth, and they're not even remotely found in the Bible. They're traditions. And uh, when it comes down to it, a lot of people um, are more faithful to traditions than they are 
to truth. Wow. Um, it's, you know, just doing things because it's the way we've always done them. Um, and there's no no Bible to support it. Um, you know, I, I've tried to define a Bible conviction, you know, by using the he, the three Hebrew children as uh, examples. You know, when the trumpet sounded and they were supposed to bow, shatter at me, shatter me to go, they didn't bow. Number one, they did, their, their conviction was based on truth. They had chapter verse, not to bow before any graven images. They were to have no other gods before Jehovah. And uh, they, had, they had chapter and they had verse. Number two, everybody else bowed except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. A true conviction, a Bible conviction, doesn't look around to see what everyone else is doing. Um, a real Bible conviction doesn't look around to see, you know, what are other people going to think? What are others going to say? No, you stand when everybody else is bowing if it's a real conviction. And the third thing is that when Nebuchadnezzar said, we're going to give you another chance, they said, we don't need another chance. We are not careful to answer you. We don't even have to pray about it. Our God's able to deliver us from the furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. So if you have a real conviction, you're willing to pay the ultimate price to stand on it. And a lot of things that are being preached as convictions are not convictions at all. Um, and I found out, I've got, a, I've got the knives in my back to prove it, that uh, you don't have to err scripturally. If you just falter traditionally, then there's a target on you. If you break tradition. Yeah, you're in big trouble then. Yep. Well, uh, Daddy, I'm so glad that, that we were able to have this conversation, and I'm glad that I hope you're not audience... disappointed. Uh, I hope your audience is not disappointed. Oh, no, they won't be disappointed at all. And, uh, you know, it's it's awesome that you and I can have these conversations. And, and, you know, just listening to you talk and me being able to ask you these questions, you know, I love the fact that you always say to me, you can ask me anything. We can talk about yeah. anything. <laughs> Absolutely. There's nothing we can't talk about. And we do talk about everything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes our conversations are really personal and, and, um, you know, we kind of pull back. I hope the you curtain. never, I hope you never backslide. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a vault, man. I'm a vault. But I hear you. But I love that we can have these kind of conversations and, I just want to say, to, you know, to the to the men in our audience, and to the to the women in our audience, you know, as you're leaving fundamentalism, just be honest with your kids. Yep, don't, I agree. Don't don't try to be dishonest. Don't don't try to hide truth from them. Don't try to cover something up, and don't don't try to handle or hand them, I guess, a a, a whitewashed version of of the truth. Just be honest with your kids. And use your exit from fundamentalism as an opportunity for your kids, number one, to see repentance in your life, 
mm-hmm. and to see change in your life and to see honesty in your life. Um, you know, I love that my three daughters, we talk about anything and everything. And you've set that example for me. And um, I'm so grateful for that. And I want to thank you for that because uh, you're real. I want to be. Well, if that's what you want to be, then you can you can rest good tonight because I try <laughs> because you are. And uh, I love that we've been able to have this conversation, and I I love you with well, all my you, heart. Thank you, Brian. I love you the same. Um, I love it when I call my daddy. He always says, "What do you say, Bud?" And uh, yeah. <laughs> that's become one of one of my favorite things to hear. And then always when we hang up, he says, "I love you so much." Yeah, and, we get mushy. Uh, yeah, we do. I think usually when we're hanging up, we say I love you at least about five or six times. I know it. I know it. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but have you ever noticed that uh, I never say bye to you? No matter, even if you say, you know, okay, bye, I say I love you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I always do that on purpose because I want to know that no matter what, the last thing you said to me or the last thing I said to you is I love you. And oh, that's, um, that's, yeah, that's, that's important sweet. to me. Well, or you're sweet. Well, listen, everybody, we thank you for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Make sure and go to the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Click on the Free Life Soap tab and use your promo code RFP. You'll get 20% off of your order and you will smell absolutely amazing. JC, Nathan, I can't wait to be joined by you on the next episode Uh, you guys were sorely missed but it's been awesome to have this conversation with my dad and uh, to any of the pastors the preachers uh, who are listening he is a great resource and uh, if you look him up on Facebook and you send him uh, a Facebook message I know that he would be faithful to answer any questions that you might have and uh, you know when you have a resource you need to tap into it and my dad is a deep well And I've drawn water from his well over and over and over again. And those times have been life-changing for me, and I know they would be you as well. So thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. We'll see you next time. God bless. Be sweet. You've got to say peace. Peace. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your T-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast.